I am pumped to be in week four of our series, How Do I Know? And my goal for this series is to build up our faith and our doctrinal understanding of our Bible and who God is to build your confidence because I believe God says the harvest field is great, the workers are few, and we are going to need to be ready to reach God's people who are far from God and and show them the hope of Jesus Christ and what he's done in our life and share it with other people. And so that's why in January we did a prayer series and in March we're doing like a faith series because I want your faith to be jacked up. Tell your neighbor, let's get jacked up in, in a spiritual way. Come on, we get jacked up in the most spiritual of all ways. Yeah, I'll rethink that one before the third experience. Okay, anyway. Um, and so by this time uh, in this series, we've had three weeks, and, and this is what we have established, okay? Number one, we've established, how do I know God exists? And I spent week one uh, convincing that God is real and God is good and he exists. On week two, uh, we, we have established that the creation story checks out more than the evolution story does, that we can put more faith in the creation story. It actually takes less faith to believe the creation story than the evolution story. And so that our, our Bible is scoring 10 for 10 in Genesis in the creation of the world. On last week, week three, we talked about how we can trust the full Bible, that it is stable, it is secure, it is a firm foundation that you can put your hope in and your trust. It is reliable, and it is as true today as the day it was written. And for those three things being established, if you missed them, go back into our YouTube channel or anywhere where you like to get your podcasts, search for Lift Church, and go back and watch them. Better yet, share those, th- those messages with someone you know who might be questioning it or needing that kind of word because in the day and age we live in, you can be an evangelist one click away. Come on, you just say, hey, I was thinking about you as I heard this word and share the message, but this means on week four, I finally get to use my Bible as the main foundation going forward because we all know it is true, reliable, and steady. So um, let's, let's jump into... A question that um, many people have been asking, really everyone is asking, what happens after death? And so week four of How Do I Know is the message entitled, How Do I Know Heaven and Hell Are Real? Will you pray with me? God, I thank you that you have revealed truths to a lot of us here. Some of us are in a journey learning and, and, and discovering and leaning in. Father, I thank you for everybody, whether they're new to you or they've been walking with you longer than any of us. Father, I thank you that you are such a good God, and we want to hear from you today. Would you use my words and let it be clear in Jesus' name. Open up our hearts and let us receive it so we're doers of the word, not just listeners. In Jesus' name. And if you agree with that, you can say... Amen with me. You know, it was in my first year that I gave my life to the Lord, and he changed my life completely. It was August of 2002 that um, I was coming out of a touring band. I knew media. I knew sound. I knew lights. And uh, my pastor uh, came and had a conversation with me, and I was like, man, I got to get out of this job. It's a lifestyle that is not conducive to what I believe anymore and my heart cry anymore. And he said, um, we're about two decades behind in technology. And I said, great, I'm about two decades behind in theology. Come on, we make a good match. And so um, uh, I got hired to be the first media guy at a, at a, a large church in Louisiana. And um, 
soon after hi- getting hired, we were outsourcing all of our videos, and I realized that's something I really wanted to do and help tell the story of Jesus through videos and technology. And so I remember in my first year, um, I got saved in August uh, on that March, it was March Madness. Anybody pumped for March Madness? Come on. Anybody, your brackets, you know they ain't going to make it. Come on. You can try to figure it out. But we were in New Orleans. We were right outside of New Orleans. And we decided to do a video shoot in preparation for Easter. We went down to the streets of New Orleans because New Orleans was hosting March Madness. That was the year Syracuse was there, Kansas was there, Marquette was there. Carmelo Anthony went off uh, for Syracuse there. So we went down with video cameras, and my pastor started walking the streets of New Orleans, and he just asked a soft intro question, hey, who are you rooting for, where are you from? And then he flipped the script, and he'd say, hey, I just got one serious question for you. If there's a heaven... How do you get there? Man, the answers that I got, you got some people making light of it all. You know, they're like, Pastor, you got to go through Syracuse if you want to find heaven. Come on. That's where heaven's at. And, And you had others who were completely stumped, and they'd say, Brother, I don't know. Is that something you could tell me? The interesting thing is people all, there was not one who said, I don't believe there is a heaven. And everybody was just, most people were very lost and confused on how to get there. And that is my hope to talk about a little bit today. But I want you to recognize we all have an innate yearning for heaven and fear of hell. And I think God put that there. We don't see that in other creatures. We don't see, you know, any other creatures huddling up in worship, getting out an acoustic guitar, you know, come on, trying to sing some songs and talk about how to make sure we don't end up in hell and we make it to heaven. You don't see any hands raised like that, which is further indication that evolution is not uh, holding its weight, that we have a unique spirit. We have a unique soul that yearns to get to know God and thinks there is an afterlife. I remember... Not too long ago, we were in Belize, and two times now, I've been in Belize, and we went to a Mayan ruin, and the the, the Mayan people would build these temples to the sun god, and they had all kinds of moon gods and rain gods and, and everything, but their high human god, they once discovered his casket uh, not too long ago, and when they unearthed it, they said, in the sun god's casket, it was lined with all kinds of weapons. So I, I asked, what are the weapons for? I've heard of people burying people um, with gold so that they're hooked up in the afterlife. In fact, one article I read not too long ago was that, well, it was a little long ago. When iPads first came out, anybody remember that? They, they weren't always here. They're not like God, preexistent. <laughs> Come on. Listen, when they first came out, there was a group of Asian people where they couldn't keep up with the demand of how much they were buying them. So some people were buying printouts of an iPad, and they were putting it in their loved one's caskets so that their loved one could have an iPad in heaven. And I thought, Jesus, these people need Jesus. Okay, so. (laughs) And, And listen, I don't mean to make light of things. I just... We all have this instinct that there's a heaven. And so I said, what's up with the weapons for the sun god? And they said, well, Mayans believe that everyone, when they die, go directly to hell. And they have to fight and war their way out of it. And so they put these weapons in there so that this sun god can war his way out. And if he succeeds, he gets to pass through the seven layers of heaven. 
I said, that sounds like something I heard on Elf. Come on, you know. <laughs> and, and, and then only to, once you get to the seventh heaven, be reincarnated into a human being and start all over again. I said, that sounds like hell to me. <laughs> once I make it to the seventh layer of heaven, I don't want to come back to earth, much less warm myself through hell again. But the, the fact remains true. Every culture believes there's something going on after life ends and why is this why would God put it there if eternal states didn't exist and Ecclesiastes 3:11 explains God has planted eternity in every single human heart every single human heart has this instinctual innate belief something's going on after life there's got to be more because if there's nothing more then you and I have absolutely no purpose we are one cosmic accident breathing air for a period of time you might as well YOLO live it up because nothing happens after this throw caution to the wind but none of us instinctually believe this in our heart now when we get into the Bible about after eternal states the Bible, interestingly enough, does not go into vivid detail about heaven or hell. And you might ask why. It gives us enough to know that heaven clearly exists and hell clearly exists. But why doesn't he go in colorful detail on all the elaborate things that there are there? And I'll, I'll answer that with a, a story. Imagine I'm in elementary school and I, and, and I just moved to this area. And little Ricky uh, meets me at school and he invites me to his house. Well, what he doesn't tell me is that his dad owns the wealthiest company in the area, and he has his own private go-kart track. Come on, baby. If I had a, a friend who had a private go-kart track I, in, in elementary school, that'd be heaven on earth, okay? I'd be tearing that thing up. Come on, race you, whoop you. I'd be to totally spinning them out from behind because you know a lot of you do that anyway. You go to them go-kart tracks, and they're like, now, y'all behave. Y'all should see our staff when we do stuff like that. They're like, y'all behave. You want to see pastors act unpastor-like. We all spinning each other out. <laughs> and they're like, calm it down. They're like, yes, sir. Obey the authority of the land. We're doing it. So anyway, why would Ricky not tell me that he's got a go-kart track and that his family's wealthy? Because Ricky might want to know. I wanted to know if you were coming to see me or coming for my stuff. And I think the same thing is true, that God gives us enough indication that, that heaven is real and hell is real, but God wants to know, are you coming? Is Jesus enough? Are you coming to see my son, or are you coming for all the hookups that are all around it? Come on, I believe there's a portion of that going on. So I'm going to spend a little amount of time talking about hell. I'm going to talk a little bit more about heaven, and then I will give you what this means for us today. When we look at hell, no one likes to talk about hell for a very long time. We like to diminish our conversations about hell. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to dwell upon it. We don't want to think anyone that we know or love is in it. We oftentimes attempt to eliminate it, or we just try to make light of it and make it humorous so that it's not that big of a deal or that weighty, which kind of reminds me of a Boudreaux joke I once heard. I might share with you. Boudreaux's a good old Cajun boy from South Louisiana, and he dies, and he ends up in hell. And he's sitting by the lake of fire, and 
he's all smiling and he's, you know, just happy and laughing all by himself. And the devil comes and sees Boudreaux sitting there smiling and laughing, ticks the devil off a little bit. He comes up, Boudreaux, what are you laughing about how hot it is here? And Boudreaux said, this doesn't feel much different than a South Louisiana day in July. And so that kind of fumes up the devil a little bit. So he goes into his office. He turns the thermostat even hotter. He comes outside. And he sees Boudreaux just having a good old time all by himself. He's all tickle pink. Come on, he's smiling. He's giddy. He's just having a good time. And devil says, Boudreaux, what are you doing? It is so hot here. And he says, it doesn't feel much different than a South Louisiana day in August. And so the devil, oh, he's fuming at this point. So he says, I know what I'm going to do. He goes into his office. He turns the thermostat on ice cold. He says, I'm going to freeze him out, this little South Louisiana Cajun right here. He thinks he can handle heat. He comes out, and he sees Boudreaux all giddy and laughing and smiling and just, just so excited. And Satan comes up to him, and he goes, Boudreaux, hell has literally frozen over, and you're still smiling. What's wrong with you? And he said, that must mean that the Saints finally won the Super Bowl. Come on. Let's go. Somebody pray for my New Orleans Saints because hell's going to need to freeze over for us to win another Super Bowl. But isn't that what we commonly do is we make kind of light jokes of hell. We, we soften it. We try to make it either disappear or to seem like not very much. In fact, in 2021, a Pew Research poll came out and said of all Americans, religious or not, 35% of women and 41% of men in the U.S. don't believe hell actually exists. 41% of men don't believe it exists, even though 73% of them said heaven absolutely exists. Heaven exists. There is no hell. We all go to hell. I'm, no, no, we don't say that. Sorry. I misspoke. We all go to heaven. Doesn't that sound a little bit more like what you've heard? My bad. My bad. I make mistakes too. Come on. And, and so, like, we love to say anyone trying is going to heaven. We're all going to end up in heaven. Anyone with a sincere desire is going to heaven. Um, uh, of mainline Christians... 31% of mainline Christians don't believe there's a hell. That means if you count off, you believe in hell, you believe in hell, you don't. You believe in hell, you believe in hell, you don't. Come on. If that many people don't believe in hell, it shapes our theology and our worldview. It shapes how we act if we don't believe that there is a hell. And one of the reasons I feel like God has called us here, and that includes you too, is in the Northeast 51% of people, only 51% of people believe in hell. That means 49% don't. Every other person you meet thinks there is no hell. And if there is no hell, why not throw caution to the wind? Why not indulge too much? Why not go a little further than I should? Why not tell people how I feel? Why not cheat, lie, steal, uh, sleep around? Why not? Because if there is no hell and everyone's going to heaven, why not live that way? And that's the thing that we have to address in our society today. Because heaven and hell do exist. It's in our Bible. And what we often try to do is shape our own theology. We make our own selves God. And we eliminate the parts that we don't like very much so that we can feel better about the choices we want to selfishly make. I know, pulling your toes, I'm stepping on a few of them real quick. But listen, our modern culture insists 
why would a loving God subject anyone to hell? That's the cry of our culture. Have you heard that before? Have you heard that on TV? Have you heard that from your friends? Why would a loving God send anyone to hell? Well, let's look at Hebrews 4, 1 through 3. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to say these next three words with me. Tremble with fear. We ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to everyone. It's been announced to all of us just as it was to the people in the beginning. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. Read this next sentence out loud with me. For only we who believe can enter his rest. Only we who believe can enter his rest. As for others, God said, in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest, even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. God has always desired for us to be in heaven, but hell is a reality too. And I believe there's a twofold meaning to this because God wants us to experience heaven on earth as well as heaven forevermore in eternity. And I'll break that down a little bit more. But what I need you to see is there are people who fail to enter his rest. It is not God's choice that they fail to enter his rest. It is our choice. It is what we asked. I once heard C.S. Lewis say it this way. There are two types of people. The ones that say to God, thy will be done. And the ones who God says to them, okay, thy will be done. And so anyone who goes to hell, it was their choice, C.S. Lewis says. Because God is giving them what their will has always asked for. Let me do it my way. I don't want you part of it. I can handle it on my own. And that's when God says, okay, I will give your will to you. I wrote it down this way. If you don't make much of sin, you don't make much of hell. I could probably say it the opposite way too. Those who don't make very much of hell, they don't make very much of sin either. They, they, they think it's a small matter. But if you do make much of sin, you tend to make much of hell as well. And the reverse is true. If you make much of hell, you fearfully tremble not to step into sin. So the question would be, how does God view sin? And let's look at that. Jeremiah 25, 15 says clearly, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled to the brim with my anger and make all the nations to whom I send you drink from it. In other words, God ain't playing with sin. Heaven is a place sin is not allowed or it would no longer be heaven. It would be called earth. <laughs> mixed good and mixed bad. And, and, and so when we diminish hell, we also diminish evangelism and we diminish purity and holiness. You know, another thing we saw when we were in Belize is this tree right here that they're going to bring up here. It's called a strangler fig because in the original tree, there's two of them there. The original tree, you can see other trees starting to wrap themselves around it, and it's called a strangler fig. Oddly enough, it will bear fig fruit, giving the appearance 
that this is a good thing for the tree. This is a life-giving thing. And I feel like sin is the same way. It tells you you're having fun. You were meant to be happy. You can do whatever you want. God would not be uh, upset with this. But the thing about the strangler fig is it's called a parasite. Because as it wraps its way around a healthy tree, it chokes out the life of the middle tree, which will eventually die, and all of it will be dissipated at that point too. And I think it's a good metaphor of what Satan wants to do with our view of hell. If I can get rid of the doctrine of hell, if I could make people believe it doesn't exist, I'd have people right where I want them. If I were Satan, I would do it too. Because if I could take away the idea that hell doesn't exist, you would ignorantly walk right into it. Because you would do whatever it is that you want. And I think that's what Satan is trying to do, eliminating hell. Here's what you need to know about hell. It was originally created for Satan and his demons, not you and I, not human beings. God did not design hell for any human being, for it says in Matthew 25, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his demons. So that's enough bad news. Let me turn the corner and give you the greatest news of all. Um, John 14, 1 through 2 says this, don't let your hearts be troubled. If that hell talk just now scared you, I echo these words, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me, Jesus Christ. There is more than enough room in my Father's house for you. If that were not so, if that were not so, would I have told you that? That I'm going to prepare a place for you? Our Jesus does not lie. Our Jesus does not play pranks. He is not the kind of friend who goes, I got a house for you. <laughs> what a lie. Come on, he's saying, I'm telling you the truth. I have mansions for you prepared with your name on them that every person is to come to me with my Father in heaven. So here's four quick things to know about heaven. Number one, heaven is an actual place. It's not metaphorical. It's not rhetorical. It is an actual place. Genesis 2 verse 1 says, So the creations of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. Is the earth real? Somebody shout out an answer. Then is the heavens real? It is an actual place. We can see uh, uh, the earth is true. We can see the Bible is true. We can trust the heavens are true. And listen, God's always had a unique interest in heaven and earth being more relational. In fact, we look at the early Garden of Eden. It was described as like a heaven on earth. And because the guys at the Bible Project, if you haven't checked out YouTube, search the Bible Project, they do a brilliant job breaking down Scripture. Since they can tell this better than I can, I want you to watch this quick four-minute video. Here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. The union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about, how they were once fully united and then driven apart, and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning. 
where heaven and earth, they're completely overlapping. Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together perfectly, no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world and so on. But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted God out and we wanted to create a world apart from him. Yeah, so we have these two spaces now. So you've said that these spaces can overlap, though. So explain how that works. Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temples. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's presence by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth uh, overlap. And these are designed to make you feel like you're going back to the garden. And at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. But not so fast, because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty, but human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results. So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. What do animal sacrifices have to do with this? Yeah, the, the idea is this. Animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence. Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, I might be able to be in God's presence. But you said the story of the Bible is all of heaven and earth reuniting. Right. So we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Now, this word dwelling is really curious. It, literally, it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus and they kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven and earth. But we, we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple. He's also talked about as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so, so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more of heaven and earth. And this is all really great, but it leaves one big question in my mind, which is what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus. Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament, we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die, but that is not the focus of the Bible's story. 
the focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. Come on, is that not brilliant? I hope that was helpful. Uh, we put a QR code up there for you to find it or just search YouTube for The Bible Project, Heaven and Earth. They have great videos to learn a lot more about the Bible. But that's number one. The four quick things to know about heaven is that heaven is an actual place. I'll go quick with these last three, so be ready to take notes or take a picture of the screen. But number two, heaven is God's dwelling place. This is uh, the presence of God. In fact, in 2 Chronicles 6.32, um, as they were completing the temple, they, the, the Israelites were completing the temple as they just described, and they said this upon completing it, then hear from heaven where you live, God. And so they, they, they knew that it's like we can experience an essence of God on earth, but this is his dwelling place. Number three, the third thing to know about heaven is that the heavens were created by God. Um, uh, uh, First Chronicles 16 says, it echoes what Genesis said, that God created the heavens and the earth. First Chronicles says, the gods of other nations are mere idols. They're just carved out stone or wood. But the Lord, our Lord, he made the heavens. And so uh, God is, uh, uh, the heavens were created by God. And the fourth thing you should know about heaven is that there will be a new heaven one day. Come on, the Bible says that Jesus came. He lived and he died and he resurrected again. But he is coming back again. And the first time I heard that, I gulped big. I said, say what? No one ever told me Jesus is coming back again. And the Bible is clear. He is coming back to earth again. And no one knows the time. There are signs and indications of when he will come. And I just have to say that there are more signs and indications. We look more like those signs of in and indications today than we did yesterday, which means we don't know how soon it is. It could be in a lot of our lifetimes. I don't know. One thing I do know is the Bible says you need to be prepared because Jesus will come back again at any day. And when he does, the angels will flood into, and after a period of time, there, God will establish a new heaven and a new earth where the Bible says there will be no more sin, no more crying, no more weeping, no more sorrow, no more disease, no more illness, no more hurting, none. Come on, because that is what heaven is, it says in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. That's where I want to be, guys. And that's where I want you to be, too. And so, here's what I want you to do with this. If heaven and hell are realities, then we have to live like it, and we have to reach lost people. If heaven and hell are real, we have to be sick to want anybody to end up in hell. We have all been sinners. We have all messed up. The Bible says that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died so that we could have a path to heaven. 
And we, if heaven and hell are real, and I hope I have convinced you of that, then we got to live like it because our witness matters. It has internal, eternal impact on people's lives. And we also have to reach his lost children. So here's just four practical suggestions I would say in light of that. Number one, Easter is two weeks away, guys. Invite somebody. If heaven and hell are real, there is no easier ask than on Easter. The uh, uh, Modern statistics say that people are most likely to attend church on Easter, but you have to invite them. They're not responding to a social media graphic. They're not responding to anything more than when you say, hey, I want you to come to church with me. And we'll give you invite cards and we'll help you and equip you. But I'm challenging you to invite at least three people. Over the last two weeks, I've invited seven people and I'm planning on inviting more. I'm asking you to put your faith in action. If heaven and hell are real, come on, invite people because we know people are going to get saved that day. Come on, can we praise God in advance for what he's doing? Here's a second practical thing if heaven and hell are real. You got to give and tithe because when we give our 10%, when we give an offering to the Lord, we take care of God's house, which I believe the local church is the hope for humanity. Come on. It is what Jesus Christ died for. And when he said, Peter, upon the confession that you believe I am Lord and Savior, upon that confession, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the Bible says that where my, tre my, my treasure is, so my heart is also. So I want my heart firmly invested in where Jesus' heart is, that he came to establish the church to save humanity. And come on, I want my wife and I, we love our first 10% uh, of everything we make, bringing it back to God because 100% of it was his anyway. And if you're in this place and you're like, hey, we're not quite given 10%, then I, I, I would ask, hey, could you, could you ask, take a step in faith in that direction? Could you just say, I want to put my heart more where his heart is because, guys, can I tell you that this year alone, just three months, 89 decisions of people giving their life to Jesus Christ for the first time or rededicating their lives. Come on. That's where I want my treasure in my heart to be because God wants every lost son and daughter of his to come home. Here's a third thing you can practically do. Sign up for the growth track. Next Step Express is happening soon. Come be a part of the team. The Bible says that we all have a gift and we're all needed to build this kingdom of heaven on earth. Everyone is included. And you might look around at the dream team and say, come on, they're doing amazing things. I don't know if I can contribute. Well, number one, we can train you how to do that, but it's not complete without you. We are not made up of a few superstars. In fact, when you... When you serve with us, you replenish another dream teamer's soul as well. Because God has equipped us all to do it together. You look at the Old Testament when they moved the tabernacle. It wasn't three people carrying it. It wasn't three priests. Uh, uh, priests. It was the entire 12 tribes saying, we got this thing. Come on. Everybody had a part to play. And so would you consider joining the team? Maybe if you've already joined a team but taking a break, would you consider serving again? We have areas of need, and we believe you're a part of the solution, and we believe that God is growing his church, and we need all hands on deck because 
the harvest is ripe pray for the workers because the workers can be few come on let's get our hands dirty and do that here's two things you can do speak uh, of serving extravaganza we do every year the day before Easter and we're doing it at Glen Avenue Elementary on Saturday the day before Easter there's a two-fold call bring your kids out and have fun but also would you consider serving we're going to be barbecuing up burgers and giving them away we're going to have uh, inflatables there we're going to have an incredible Easter egg hunt and Glen Avenue has already sent out an all call email saying Live Church wants to love on you so come on would you be there that day and help us serve them and love on some people um, at the extravaganza also speaking of Glen Avenue said would you come pray over our school and we said Lift Church will be there. So on the Thursday before Easter, April 6th, Glen Avenue Elementary School, we're going to have a prayer walk. Because I don't know if you know this, but it's hard times in schools right now, guys. We have some five-star teachers who are considering quitting. We have administrators who are tired and fatigued. We have a, a lost generation who needs to know the light. And you and I carry that light. And when the public school says, will you come walk our halls and pray? Come on, Live Church. We need to respond and pray. So if you could come out for an hour on Thursday, April 6th, 530 to 630, we would be honored to have you praying in the school rooms and hall rooms there. And here's the fourth thing you can do. If heaven and hell are real, get baptized. Because if you're one of the 89 people who said, I gave my life to Jesus Christ, your next step in your spiritual journey is to do what Jesus said, and he modeled it too. Be baptized. Be immersed and go public with your faith. Let the world see that, come on, I've given my life to Jesus Christ. Amen? So as I close, I want to conclude with the question I started with. If there is a heaven, how do I get there? And I want to answer that by reading a scripture that might be familiar to you. For God so loved you and the whole world that he gave his one and only precious son. That whoever, someone say whoever, that anyone, whoever believes in him, all you got to do is believe, shall not perish in hell but shall have everlasting life. Jesus was very clear. There is a hell, but it wasn't made for you. Heaven was made for you. And that's why Jesus came to earth. Eternal destinies are settled here in time. And it's based on what you decide to do with Jesus Christ. With every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're in this place and the Lord's already moving on your heart, come on, you can't earn your salvation. You can't make yourself right. You can't do enough holy good deeds and you can't attend enough church to be right with God. The Bible says that only by believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, asking Him to forgive you of your sins, only by belief can you be saved. Come on, I believe many of you right now know today's my day. I don't want to go to hell. And if believing in Jesus and walking with him is the way, he's got my best interest in mind. He died so I could have eternity in heaven. Come on, if you're in this place, I won't call you down. I won't embarrass you. But I don't want you to be embarrassed to throw your hand into the air for just a second and say, I'm giving my life to Jesus today. One, if that's you, come on, throw your hand up in the air. Two, three, come on. 
Today's your day. Yes, yes, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. And if you're online and you say, that's me too, would you just take a moment and just say, that's me? Or on the chat, if you know you're here and you're like, I've got something between me and God, today's your day. Let's pray together, Live Church, with those who have made this decision and say, everyone together, Jesus, I give you my life. I know I'm a sinner. I've made so many mistakes. I'm asking you to forgive me. Would you wash away my sins? And I get to start new today because of the blood of Jesus. Lord, I give you my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Come on, Live Church. Celebrate with those who made that decision.